Coming up on today's show. The 2020 NFL Draft is in the books. We laughed. We cried. We made fun of people's living rooms. Now, we have to find a way to stay busy until football season. The great Jedrick Wills calls into the show to talk joining the Cleveland Browns and wiping with the other hand. Cliff Kingsbury's house, Mike Vrabel's kids, and the real stars in the NFL Draft. The Girlfriends. All of this and much, much more coming up on the season finale of the Kind of Shorty Award-winning Tomahawk Show. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the season finale of the Tomahawk Show. I am Andrew Hawkins. If you are listening to this show for the first time, welcome to the quarantine version of our show, which is actually 10 times better than the regular version. I am Andrew Hawkins. Like I said, I am joined by Joe Thomas, the best offensive lineman on this show. Joe, how are you doing, man? Well, I'm doing pretty good. And uh, if you've been living under a rock since you didn't say that, and you usually do, you can Kyle Shanahan drink. And (laughs) thank you so much. Uh, You're the greatest receiver on this podcast, too. So seems to be a show of compliments. I figured I'd give one back to you because we're just in the giving mood here today on our last episode of the season. The draft just went off last weekend. It was a very exciting draft with lots of surprises. Easily the highest rated draft in NFL history. And uh, yours truly, the most humble podcast co-host in history, here to break it all down for you. Break down the draft, man. I mean, it was, as you would imagine, I feel like numbers of every piece of content on the history of planet Earth right now are, are up at least 30%. Well, you're a big part of that because you're just pumping out content left and right. Uh, I saw that you won a shorty. I did win that award. So let's talk about that. I'm very interested in that. I did. I didn't think I had a chance. We beat uh, Trevor Noah, um, Camilla Cabela, (laughs) and Blue's Clues for the best uh, Twitter video of the year for the shorty awards. So cheers to that. Thank you, sir. Cheers to that. Well, let's tell our listeners and viewers who haven't heard your shorty a little bit all about it. Yeah, so basically the shorty was I did this skit of all the players walking in. And that sketch is what won the award for the best Twitter video of the year. So they're sending my trophy. I'm actually going to ask them to order me an extra Russell Wilson one because I kind of take a jab. Not a jab, but, you know, he's a big part of that video being funny. So I'm going to order hopefully an extra award. Or if not, I'm going to give him mine because without his graciousness. It wouldn't have yes. been possible. I was going to say, really, he was the one that made the video possible. So did you ha- have to ask for his permission before you went out with that video? I or did. did you just throw it out there and just hope that it was well-received and he didn't have Sierra's hitman come and like murder you? Yeah, I was hoping it was just real well-received. And he retweeted it. He thought it was funny. Um, uh, so I, it, it worked out, you know. So he wasn't upset. Yeah. So you get a, you get a trophy, but you've already had a big trophy being that you were the Mountain Dew man of the year a couple of years ago. Stacking them up. Uh, is there anything else that you get for winning a shorty? Um, you get the, just the, the trophy. I don't know. I mean, it's, I put it in my Twitter bio for sure. Cause here's the thing short. It's like, it's like the, the, the Emmys for short form content, especially through digital, right? That's like a big deal. So the more I'm positioning myself as like a guy who can do that in a good way, it creates other opportunities. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm actually really excited about it. There's a trend yeah, because we won an Oscar for a short film and now I won a shorty. And I think it's because I'm so tall, Joe. Um, but this isn't about me. What, what are you coming up with the documentary coming up short? <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working <laughs> on it. Uh, uh, well, anyways, 
we can talk about you being short all day, but let's get into <laughs> the NFL draft stuff. You can interact with our show on Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, at Tomahawk Show. Uh, you can join the Facebook group, the Tomahawk. Call our voicemail line and drop us a message at 440-628-1376. I got to know, man, you had some big hosting duties with NFL Network for the NFL draft. How was the weekend for you? It was good, man. It was cool. So I built this uh, garage set out of like peel and stick brick. And then I brought this in from the backyard. I bought like a, a monitor. So I, I really tried to set the setup like a, like it is an NFL network. And it was cool because even in the content that you're seeing, it was like a change of pace from the, the FaceTime cameras that everybody is is using. Yeah. But it went well, man. I, the, the viewership was up crazy, just like the draft. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to continue just to do more and more content to show like flexi, you know, versatility and all that kind of stuff. How about you? Did you join any draft shows, man? So the NFL Network was not really confident that my farm internet would be powerful <laughs> enough to go to me live. So I did a lot of hits during the week uh, that were recorded, and then they played throughout the week in the prep to the draft <laughs> and then during the draft. Uh, actually, I did four segments with Michael Irvin, and I wasn't changing my shirts because of course, I didn't know that uh, they would be playing it on different nights, but kind of the same time slot. So some people started noticing that I was wearing the same outfit like multiple nights in a row on NFL Network, and they didn't know <laughs> that I was live or not live, uh, including my colleague Steve Smith Sr., one of uh, the great <laughs> slot receivers. Uh, I guess he's not. He's just short. He's not a slot receiver. He's not a slot. But, uh, he one would, of the he great, would punch you in your chest for saying yeah. that. One of the great receivers in NFL history, my colleague, Steve Smith, who promptly texted me and said, uh, this quarantine is stay at home, not stay out of the shower. Why are you wearing the same shirt four <laughs> days in a row, you sicko? Which I, I had a pretty good laugh about it. But the highlight of the draft weekend for me, outside of obviously the Browns having a fantastic draft, drafting I've my guy, Jedrick, you and your legacy, Jedrick yeah, Wills, who can replace me quite easily, was I did the draft-a-thon fundraiser. With Rich uh, Eisen and NFL Network. I was part of it. And I was uh, one of the first crews, which was really cool. So I was on a Zoom meeting with Rich Eisen, Joel McHale, Deion Sanders, Blake wow. Shelton, Luke Keekley. Oh, you and, love that. Uh, Nate Burleson. And as you could probably guess, because you know Nate Burleson pretty well, there was not a lot of airtime to be filled since <laughs> Nate talked the entire show. And there was almost nobody doing anything but listening to Nate drone on about whatever draft topics he had to talk about. But I love you, Nate. I know he's a big member of the Tom of Flock, so, uh, But that was pretty cool. I, I definitely was bragging to my family members about the star-studded Zoom meeting that I had over the weekend. So... Who were you a little starstruck? The fact that you're I know Blake Shelton is big to you. You're a Wisconsin farm guy. Well, he's a he's a farm boy, you know, sort of small town boy, I guess I would say. Uh -huh. He's from Oklahoma, country music star, and he's apparently a huge Arizona Cardinals fan. And he had this picture of Steve Keim, who is the GM of the Cardinals. Uh -huh. And he was passed out in his the voice coach, big red, like Chair. comfy chair that they yep. sit in on the show which was pretty funny because he kept showing it he's like this is the guy that's drafting for my team no wonder we can't win the super bowl no wonder we keep screwing it up uh so that was that was pretty entertaining having him do that and um it was funny because it looked like Deion sanders was sitting in the exact same chair that was from the voice so we had a little fun with that tell but, me this um, um did you know this is a trivia for you I, I can't really rope it in any way than just to come out and say it. But did you know that Joel McHale played college football? 
I did not know that, but I guess he's really jacked up. Like he works out and he's really big into uh, fitness and stuff. So Division one tight end. Really? At a Division one school. He's funny as hell. I, I love Joel McHale. I watched the soup all the time when I was first out of college. He's amazing. I'll give you three no. guesses under 10 seconds to, to try to choose what college he played at. Uh, Alabama A&M. No. Cold. Uh, Monmouth. <laughs> oh, you're getting colder. Toledo. <laughs> Come on. I was you- I was saving my best guess for last. No, I you just guess, tell me. You get one more guess at the comp. Two guesses at the conference. Go. Uh, is it the Big Ten? Nope. Is it the Mountain West? Nope. You is played for Washington. Oh, there you go. Pac-12. I was going to say, he you know, he's a, he's a Seattle fan, so I figured maybe you were trying to throw me off the scent trail there. Nah, man, that was it. He was throwing a, a Toledo Husky. guy out there. Um, All right. but <laughs> let's talk draft. Yeah, let's talk draft. What was your biggest surprise from the draft weekend? Biggest surprise? I was surprised that a running back wasn't taken earlier. Now, I know that you can say you can get value late in the draft, and, and that is true in a lot of cases, but I just still feel like, you know, there's a lot of game changers to be had um, because I, I feel like, you know, even with the, the run on receivers, they just don't have the chance to affect the game as much as the running back does all the time. So it, it's just that was just weird to me. Um, and even though I'm a wide out, I just, I just it doesn't sit well with me that players that touch the ball as much as running backs do. Um, guys like Jonathan Taylor, like he went, what, in the second round? I believe so. Yeah. Him and J.K. Dobbins. I yeah. think not having one of those guys go in the first round was a surprise because I do think that they will be excellent NFL running backs. He's but, a 4-3 uh, guy who who did had two 2,000-yard seasons. I mean, I get well, how the game is changing. I, I'm I'm not a But, but I think even bigger than that was the fact that it was such a deep draft at offensive tackle, offensive mm-hmm. line, receiver. And it, we haven't had a deep offensive line draft in decades. And so I think teams – we're really big on that. Uh, yeah, you had the quarterbacks sense. at the top. You had some generational guys like Chase Young. I mean, it, it was it was a deep draft overall. And when that happens, the running back position just gets overlooked, no matter how good those guys are. Yeah. Are you looking for the perfect gift for mom or another loved one? Nowadays, staying in touch with the ones we love is more important than ever. And the easiest way to do it is with Skylight, a photo frame you can email photos to anytime from anywhere. I'm not able to visit my mom and dad or my grandparents as often as I'd like to, which is why I love the Skylight Frame. It's a touchscreen photo frame you can email photos to, and they appear in seconds, so mom can see your favorite moments. Skylight Frame has a gorgeous 10-inch touchscreen where you can swipe through photos with your finger and tap to thank the person who sent the photo. You can even preload it with your favorite photos for a special Mother's Day gift. Their customers love Skylight. One Facebook review said, This is such an isolating time as we are just trying to keep my grandma safe and healthy. But this gives her a little glimpse of us every single day. Now, as a special holiday offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash hawk and enter code hawk. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com slash hawk and enter code hawk. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T. F-R-A-M-E dot com slash Hawk. So what was the one move? And you know, that was my kind of overall surprise, just take away from the draft. What was the one move that you were most surprised that happened? And I know what you're going to say. Well, obviously the Packers taking Jordan Love was shocking yep. uh, because they have Aaron Rodgers. Don't do that thing where you tease all the surprises and then give the answer. Like you take up three different answers in one. Mm. 
All right. I won't say anything about the Eagles taking Jalen Hurts and the Patriots not drafting a quarterback. <laughs> but my biggest surprise was the Giants taking Andrew Thomas at number four. And I'll say why. Because I, I and I don't I don't like um doing the hey, this guy's better than that guy, because in the end they're still college players, and I don't think it's really fair to have them being dissected the way they do, but it is mm-hmm. now they are professionals, so it's the way it goes. Um to me, Andrew Thomas was the fourth best offensive tackle in this draft. Uh, so the Giants being the at number four and having all the tackles available, I thought for sure they would take Mekhi Becton or Jedrick Wills because I thought those guys were number one A and one B. Mm-hmm. And if not, I thought they were going to take a right tackle since they just paid Nate Solder a couple years ago to be the highest paid left tackle in the NFL, and he's still their left tackle. So I I thought they would take Tristan Wirfs because he fits their style. They need a right tackle. Yeah. He's a powerful, like, inside zone pulling type tackle that would just fit with what they do. They didn't take him. They took Andrew Thomas, who's a true left tackle who's been there forever. So now they either have to move Andrew Thomas to right tackle or Nate Solder to the right tackle. And in addition, I didn't really think that uh, they should have stayed at number four if they were going to take Andrew Thomas. I thought they could have traded down and still got Andrew Thomas. Now, David Gettleman said that uh, they didn't have any trade partners at number four, but it was just a, an interesting move. And I, I think to spend as much capital as the Giants had have on offensive line play is something that was great in the 90s, but it just doesn't fit with the NFL game today. Yes, I think running the ball is important, but to me it's more about coaching and scheme that gets you a good running game rather than just big, drafting big, tough, physical guys from college and, or paying big, tough, physical guys uh, in free agency. That doesn't work anymore. That's not how the game is won and lost in the trenches. It's If you have a great offensive line coach that – teaches great technique and teaches guys to play well together. And you have a great scheme like the outside zone scheme. That's what wins in the run game. And so Dave Gettleman, he's, he's barking up the wrong tree with how he's trying to build the giants. Uh, yeah. I, I liked it. I, Cause I felt like David Gettleman listens to the Tomahawk show. And because we were pumping Andrew Thomas at one time, <laughs> you were. He, he, he wanted to make sure he grabbed them before the Brown. You wanted him to replace me. That's why I know. So now I'm going to turn this into a Giants podcast. I know our producer, uh, John Fontanelli, is super excited about that. Uh, Jordan Love to the to the Packers. You're a Wisconsin guy. I got to get your take there, Joe. Also, before you go, because you just you just went in on it. I was excited about Jalen Hurts going to the Eagles. I was because I, I feel like it was a smart move. Because if you look at the Eagles, they're they're ending seasons with their second string quarterback. So you better have somebody back there who can come in and make plays regardless of um, how much reps they've had at the offense. And I think Jalen Hurts is one of those guys. I like that take, Hawk. Um, It makes sense to put a lot of resources into your backup quarterback position, especially when you have a quarterback like Carson Wentz, who has been banged up a little bit throughout his career, because we've seen that before, especially in Philly. If your starter goes down, you want to have a backup that you've spent time and money and coaching resources in because – a lot of times that's the difference between making a good playoff run and being out in uh, the first round of the playoffs. So kudos to the Eagles for taking Jalen Hurts, who I really like. I thought he was a first-round pick. I, mm-hmm. I was actually surprised that teams didn't jump on his bandwagon a little bit closer to the draft. I thought for sure with the way the other quarterbacks were kind of getting bumped up in a lot of people's rankings that Jalen Hurts would have been one of those guys that sneaks into the first round, maybe even with the Patriots. But um, I, I'm curious, what was your best and worst drafts? And I'm going to say 
I'm gonna go first, and I'm gonna say my worst draft because it uh, corresponds with the Jalen Hurts thing is the Patriots. They were a team that need a quarterback. Tom Brady's not there anymore. They're gonna get they need Rogers, a quarterback bro. of the future, and I'm sure Belichick has some master plan. But the fact that they didn't take Jalen Hurts and they had an opportunity to take him, and and they didn't in my opinion, was a huge miss because he's a guy that could fit the new age offenses in the NFL perfectly. And I believe that Bill Belichick wants to create a new age offense in New England uh, because he's he's done with the stand-in-the-pocket quarterbacks like Tom Brady, and he wants to see somebody more like a Lamar Jackson because he saw what Lamar Jackson did to his number one ranked defense, the way he could threaten him running the football, the way he could th- threaten him throwing the football. And I just thought Jalen Hurts would have been a perfect guy and he wouldn't have had that pressure because he's not, he wasn't a first round pick at that time. He could have come in with low pressure, maybe not even played this year, develop, build an offense around him and coach him for another 10 years before Belichick wants to retire. So uh, the fact that he didn't take a quarterback and didn't take Jalen Hurts, he had the worst draft. Patriots had the worst draft this this past weekend. I feel like the Patriots have a plan. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna trust Belichick over you and what he's gonna do with the quarterback position. I respect. No, you. what? I he has no more experience. Saying. Come on. I respect what you're saying, but come on. I mean, they'll be fine. Worst draft for me was uh, girlfriends. Girlfriends had the worst draft. They were <laughs> they were getting exposed uh, pretty bad on television. You know, getting thrown around and you know just. Just embarrassed. It, it was a bad showing. I, I will say that was my favorite part of the draft is having the cameras in everyone's homes. I felt like really humanized it. I feel like Roger Goodell was a big winner because I feel like he humanized himself a little bit. Um, and I, I would also be a proponent. And this is kind of started. You kind of started this trend. But I would be a proponent of even when this all ends, still having a lot of the top draft picks in their own element. Now, I know there's money to be made and I know that like there's big businesses and these draft events are crazy. Cleveland's going to be awesome. They announced the dates for those. But I just thought it was really cool to see the guys see their dreams come true with their families around them in their environment. That was just a really cool, cool thing for me. So instead of saying what was the team that had the best draft, I'm just going to go with my favorite part of the draft was seeing mm-hmm. all of these coaches and GMs in a relaxed setting that yeah. gave us an opportunity to see what their personalities were like, right? The draft is such a serious, important part of a franchise's future that everybody usually comes all buttoned up. Guys that never wear a suit and tie are always wearing suit and ties. They're sitting around acting all serious. Nobody wants to make any jokes. And you know what? To kind of take that stress level down a little bit because it was such an unusual draft and give us an opportunity to go into their homes and see what their personalities are like. We saw Bill Belichick, kind of some of that humor that guys in that building talk about. We saw that come out with his dog jumping up on his chair and that ridiculous sized checkerboard table that he was sitting behind. (laughs) We saw Andy Reid at home, you know, next to his elliptical bike or whatever the hell that was uh, in his Hawaiian (laughs) shirt. I loved Cliff Kingsbury with the big time flex showing us. What a motherfucker. I got a lot more money than you. I don't care if my team hasn't won shit. I'm rich, (laughs) bitch. Showing off the Camelback Mountains through his ginormous picture window. Brable's kids in um, costumes and one of them on the shitter. Whatever that was, that was great. But yeah, I think seeing personality, hopefully these coaches and GMs realize that like, yeah, football serious. It's, it's extremely serious. It's people's jobs. It's their livelihoods, but mm-hmm. it's not against the rules to show a little personality. It's not against the rules to have a little bit of fun with things. And you know what? 
it might actually be good for you. It might be good for your organization, and it's good yeah. for the game. It gives us fans an ability to relate to those coaches and GMs that are sometimes a little bit tough to relate to. I, I agree, man. And them being with their kids, too, was cool. Because the people awesome. that don't realize, it, people who coach, people who work as executives in the NFL, they're barely ever home year-round. Like, this has been probably they're the most home. time they've seen their kids. And that's true of a lot of people, right? Like, you're around your kids now more than ever. Um, but even for coaches, man, there's like, like they they are typically kissing their kids while they're asleep, like throughout the year. So um, even that is just kind of been like a little bit of a silver lining. So last question, Joe, before we have a special guest um, dropping into our Zoom. What did you think of the Browns draft overall? I thought it was awesome. It was better than expected. They were able to get the best tackle in the draft in Jedrick Wills, like we talked about. They got the best safety in the draft, in my opinion, in Grant Delpit. And they were able to trade back and still get that safety. Uh, additionally, they drafted a center in the fifth round that I know you don't care about. But no. he was probably the second best, maybe the best center in the draft uh, behind Cesar Ruiz. And the mm-hmm. Browns got him in the fifth round. And so he might have an opportunity to compete at right guard. If he doesn't compete and win that job, he definitely is the center of the future whenever J.C. Treader moves on to greener pastures. So great draft overall. Uh, Harrison Bryant was a tight end from Florida Atlantic. That is a yep. name that you're going to hear a lot of because mm-hmm. he's a damn good tight end, even though he did go to Florida Atlantic. My best friend, Ben Strickland, who's a uh, coach at Wisconsin. He played with me at Wisconsin. He played with me going back to high school and youth sports when we were in third grade, but Mm -hmm. he coached at Florida Atlantic. And even before this draft goes, you need to tell Andrew Barry that this Harrison Bryant is the real deal as a tight end. And lo and behold, the Browns draft him. So uh, all those guys that got were awesome. I spoke with Harrison Bryant at the combine. Um, He's a guy who had like one offer. I think, I think he was like, he sent like all his tapes out to all his colleges. He basically had to beg Florida Atlantic to let him even come to the school. Um, but it, that did that was a curious one for me though because they have I mean they just picked up in Najoku's fifth year they just Austin made Hooper. Austin Hooper the highest paid tight end that was a peculiar pick I'm not going to question it um, he's just well, I think it's just a value pick yeah it's a value pick and once you get to those middle to late rounds now you're just picking the best player available and then typically yeah. you're saying hey even if he doesn't play this year we're not counting on our fourth round picks to play this year but I will also say we're going to be running a, a or excuse me the Browns are going to be running a tight end heavy offense with yep. the outside zone as you know being in Kyle Shanahan drink scheme and you always take at least three tight ends maybe four on the roster so it's not crazy to think that Njoku Hooper uh, and Harrison are going to be all on the field, probably maybe even at the same time. An- another pick, and I got to talk a little wide out. Uh, Donovan Peoples Jones. Yeah, what do you think? Legit. Really? Legit, man. I, I remember I-, I was at a, I coached at a Nike camp, high school camp. This is like three or four years ago. And Donovan Peoples Jones and KJ Hamler, who got drafted in the second round to the Broncos, were there. And I remember watching those two specifically. And Donovan Peoples Jones looked like he could have played in the league then. He was 17 years old, fast, quick, strong hands, polished on the routes. I, I think, honestly, the thing that did him in was just the offense and, you know, that he ran at Michigan. I, I, I don't think it's favorable for the receivers who come out of Michigan into the draft. And I think that the Browns got a really, really, really good value in him in the sixth round. And you pair him with Jarvis and OBJ, like, that's that. he's going to be a special player, I feel like. The Browns had a great draft. I mean, it's hard to look at any of those guys and say 
they're not a good fit and they're not good players based on the reports you read and then people you talk to that know the positions and know the draft pretty much inside and out. And to be able to get quality players in the fourth, Late. fifth, and sixth rounds, yeah, like man. that's where you're drafting the the Andrew Hawkins scrubs of yeah. college football coming yeah. out of Toledo and these crappy schools that Wisconsin and Ohio receiving. State beat the shit out of in their non-conference <laughs> games. Uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, Andrew Barry, hats off to him. He did a great job. But Andrew um, Barry coming out the gates firing. You know who lost? The biggest loser of this draft are the uh, mid-major schools, yeah. the non-power five schools, is because there's no there's no workouts. There's no yeah. um, pro days for a lot of these teams. So I think like a lot of teams are just like, yo, we're going to go what we know, and that's the SEC. That's the Big Ten. That's these bigger conferences. So I feel like it did hurt a lot of those guys. Mm. Oh, hold that thought, Hawk. I think we have somebody dropping into the Zoom meeting. So, mm. uh, uh, a Zoom bomber. Baker Mayfield. Most famous person that you have saved in your phone. Peyton Manning. Peyton? Wow. Rob Gronkowski. You know, he's going to get that nut. <laughs> CJ McCullum. CJ Joe Thomas here. First of all, pleasure to speak to you, man. Whoa, whoa, brown whoa. That is how much he perked up when he heard Joe's voice. Jedrick Wills, my man. Joe Thomas here. Thank you so much for joining us on the Tomahawk podcast. Uh, as you probably saw when the Browns drafted you number 10 overall in last weekend's NFL draft, I was a little bit excited because I've been watching your film. I got a chance to watch uh, you at the combine and we've been talking a little bit before the draft and I had you as my number one guy. I thought you were head and shoulders above those other players because of your athleticism, your change of direction, your ability to create power, your technique. I just thought you were the best at all the things that you were looking for in an offensive tackle. And so when the Browns were able to pick you, I was a little bit elated. But I got to ask you a question. Did you have any inclination as where you were going to go for the draft? Okay, so I want to start by saying uh, thank you for having me. Um, and I thank you for for uh, those congratulations and uh, for that praise. Um, it means a lot coming from you. Um, but as far as leading up to the uh, to the draft, I actually didn't. Um, I was very, very skeptical in where I was going. I had no clue. Um, there was interest from a lot of teams. I did a lot of these uh, Zoom interviews prior to the draft. So, I mean, when the time came and the picks were actually calling in, I had I had no clue where I was going. A lot of times your agent kind of gives you a range of, all right, you know, we know that this team is probably the first team that might take you. And this team is maybe the... Uh, last spot that you would slide to for me they thought that it was either going to be Detroit at number two or I was going to go at Washington I think they were number five at the time so did your agent give you an idea of like what that range was probably with you yeah so mine was so wide it was from four the Giants to 14 at the um at the Buccaneers Mm. so that was kind of that was kind of the range that they gave me mine was um State Farm Insurance salesman <laughs> or uh, Foot Locker associate. Uh, it was a range, just like you, Jedrick. Yeah. So what was that process like for you? So we're in the middle of a pandemic that hits right in the middle of your draft, draft process and prep. And you already said that you were talking to teams on Zoom. What was it? Right. Was it was it weird trying to still prepare and st- trying to still stay active? How did you train? Were you working out at the house? What was that whole thing like? Yeah, so it it was crazy. It was definitely a new experience for sure. Uh, like you said, the Zoom interviews that was new, rather than going to do the thirty visits and things like that. Um, mm. But as far as training, I was actually fortunate to be back here in my hometown of Kentucky with um, my trainer from high school, who goes by Operation Athlete. His name is Ted Butler, mm. and um, he was following those CDC guidelines. He has his own gym, and um, just as long as he was doing that, I was allowed to go in there and train um, on a day to day basis. So have you? 
Yeah. Have, have you been getting a training program from the Browns yet now that you've been drafted? And are you going to be able right. to get onto the same program with all the other guys that are with the Browns right now? Um, so as far as the workout plan and whatnot, I believe that starts next week, um, I believe mm-hmm. on Monday. Um, right now, it's just uh, me just staying in the playbook. We received iPads this morning, so my process started today. And um, until May 11th, there's nothing really that we can do besides just trying to stay in shape on our own. How has the reception from Browns fans been? Have they? Because they're pretty crazy. I remember when I first signed yeah. with the Browns from Cleveland, like mm-hmm. it was like like nothing I never experienced, man. They got a crazy fan base. Um, they've been showing me a lot of love, um, especially through like social media. Um, the different interviews I've did like this, they've gave me some feedback. Um, but it, they they got a crazy fan base. It's great. That's awesome. Have you been able to connect with anybody on the team? Did Baker send you a text? Did you know anybody hit you up? Like let's get to work. Yeah, a couple of them did um, right after I got drafted. Um, I think the first person was actually Joe. Uh, he was the first person that kind of that kind of shouted me out. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, but follow, following that, um, yeah, Baker shot me a text and we talked on FaceTime um, for yeah. a couple minutes. Uh, OBJ and Jarvis, um, David and Joku, um, a couple offensive linemen. Um, so there's been some guys that hit me up. Nick Chubb, I mean, that's about it for now. Um, coaches hit me up as well, but I mean, I'm, I feel welcome. I'm happy to be a Brown, so. Love it. So one of the big conversations around you going into the draft was the fact that you played right tackle all through college because you had a left-handed quarterback in Tua Tagovailoa. And it was projected that you'd probably have to switch to left tackle because most tackles that go in the top 10 end up on the left side in the NFL. And so I'm curious, how long have you been practicing at left tackle? And was that something that you were doing throughout the process? Or is it something that is sort of fresh since the Browns drafted you and told you that you'd be playing left tackle? Right. Um, So it's a little bit of both. Uh, So lead up into the combine, I knew that they were going to have us showcase our skills on both sides. Um, it usually goes that way. So I started back in um, around February, January, that area, um, just doing both while I was preparing for the combine. So right and left. And then now it's pretty set in stone that I'll be doing left, like you said. So, I mean, my process started <laughs> Saturday. Um, so I, I did some training today. Um, probably after I do some playbook work and whatnot, I'll be doing nothing but left tackle stuff. So I was one of the big proponents of the Browns drafting you even though a lot of people said, well, he was a right tackle and that's a tough transition. And I said, you know what? A tackle is a tackle. Like you don't have enough reps coming out of college to have muscle memory ingrained in your mind. That's impossible to change. And I think the transition out of college from left to right or guard to tackle is not that hard because once you get to the NFL, you're going to have so many reps that I thought it would only take about three months to really be able to make that transition and feel like wherever position you ended up in was your home position. So how has the transition been so far from you going in a right-handed stance to now playing in a left-handed stance? Right. It's weird for sure. Um, it's new. And like when you play there for so long, like you mentioned, it just becomes second nature to, you know, just get down in a stance without a problem. Like even when you're wearing casual jeans and a, and a shirt, you can just casually get into your stance. So it's definitely something that I'm learning. Um, it's it's a new feeling. And um, people just realize it is like a flip of the hips. But when you're actually doing it and people who understand football know that it's definitely something that's going to require some practice. Yeah, everything is the opposite. And one of the quotes that you had that made me fall in love with you right away was you said uh, playing right tackle versus playing left tackle is just a matter of learning to wipe your ass with the other hand. And I was wondering, I never heard that before, but I really like that. Was that something that you made up yourself or did you hear that from somebody else? 
No, it was just something that literally came to my head like instantly as soon as I thought about it. It was just something that I thought of off the top of my head. That's awesome. I I, I played a little bit of right tackle in Pro Bowls, and occasionally they would uh, put me over on the other side when we'd have unbalanced lines. And like you mentioned, it does feel a little bit awkward at first, but as you get practice, it does become pretty natural. And the thing that I always found was the most difficult was just the balance because you always kind of carrying 60% of your weight on your inside leg. And so when you go from right side – your 60% of your weight is on your left leg where you play left tackle. 60% of your weight is on your right side. So it's all the movements you're doing, learning to carry your balance and your weight on the opposite leg. Uh, how has that transition mm-hmm. been? And was there anything else that has been the most difficult as far as transitioning to the left side? I feel like muscle memory is probably one of the biggest um, or the hardest, I should say things to kind of get used to just the movements. But like you said, the 60, 40%, on each leg is definitely something that feels a little awkward. Um, Cause like once you do it for so long, one leg starts to be stronger than the other one. Uh, one leg has different muscle twitches than the other one does, um, like impact and pushing off, catching. Um, so really it's just trying to balance out both of those and then just getting in the groove of the movement. So sorry. Yeah, no, I, I would love to sit here and listen to O-line talk. <laughs> yeah, wake up, Hawk. <laughs> he's, he's already <laughs> sleeping. But just so I could break this up a little bit, you pick number 71. What it, what went into you making your decision to wear number 71? Um, Little league number, something that I wore when I was mm. younger. Never, I never put on a 72 jersey. I thought it was going to look a little funny. Um, people <laughs> were pushing for 72, but I just went with the old school little league 71 that I used to wear. I like that, man. Do you feel any pressure, like – of, you know, having to replace the great Joe Thomas and what he means in Cleveland, even though he's been gone a couple <laughs> years, he's still a right. guy that people have looked to when they think of left tackle in Cleveland and in the NFL, for yeah. that matter, that Joe is like kind of the standard. Do you feel a little pressure there? Are you like, you feel really good about being up for the challenge? Um, I feel really good about being up to the challenge. Um, I don't really have too many problems with pressure, but I know I got some high expectations coming into Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm just ready to get to work and, and uh, see if I can see if I can prove those people right. I love it, man. Well, let me be the first to tell you, Joe was not as good as they say he is. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what's great about retiring is they always it's remember great. you as better than you you than than you actually were. And for Hawk, they remember him as being an average slot receiver, which is way better than he was when he actually played. <laughs> so we are definitely benefiting from having a little air between what we're doing right now and when Absolutely. our careers ended. Absolutely. So Joe is mentoring you. I mean, everyone in Cleveland was all up. And all. I was like, oh, wow, Joe is going to mentor Jedrick. What does that even consist of? Like, what is the mentoring process <laughs> look like for an O-lineman? Um, and also, you guys right. are both in quarantine in your houses. How is this going to work? <laughs> well, uh, thankfully for social media and Internet nowadays. Um, so as soon as I receive like the, the strength uh, word from Cleveland and the workouts and things like that, I'm pretty sure I'll end up receiving some left tackle drills from Callahan, um, him being that he's transition and coach a whole bunch of offensive linemen. So mm-hmm. as soon as I start those drills in that process, um, I'll shoot some videos, send out to Joe. He'll give me tips and reminders, uh, tools, things like that, um, just to kind of help me with the help me with the transition. Yeah, for me, I, I'm excited about watching you take your pass sets on the left side and just giving you little cues and little things to think about to try to improve that pass set. And that that's something that's pretty easy and we can do over uh, text message. If you just video yourself, it's a lot like 
if you were ever a shot put or a discus guy and you're filming <laughs> right. your shot or your discus throw, like anybody can come on and look at that and give you little tips on how to improve that technique. And I think especially transitioning from right tackle to left tackle, I can definitely help you out. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. And uh, I'm really looking forward to whenever training camp starts coming out and watching you in person and maybe talking to you a little bit in person. But I got one more question and uh, then we'll let you go. We really appreciate you coming on the show. But um, I'm just curious, what does the summer look like? I know that there's probably a lot of uncertainty with the quarantine continuing and uh, Mm -hmm. the uncertainty of when training camp is going to start. But what does the next three months look for you? Um, So as of right now, uh, just learning the playbook, practicing left tackle, um, staying in touch with all the coaches and just doing what I can from here. Mm -hmm. Um, I have no word yet on when I'll be arriving in Cleveland. Um, So until then, I guess just doing what I can do from home and then um, eventually just moving on with the process. So a little uncertainty right now, like you said, um, just kind of waiting around. Jedrick, uh, I appreciate you coming on so much, man. It was great having you on the show. And with great pride, I can say that you are truly the greatest left tackle (laughs) in the history of the Browns organization. I agree. Jedrick, we appreciate you, brother. We appreciate it, man. We'll we'll be in touch. Most definitely. Appreciate y'all for having me. Yep. Have a good one. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com slash smart for details. All right, major shout out to Dedrick Wills, man. Uh, appreciate him joining us on the Tomahawk Show. His first official interview, which is not true, but we're going to say it anyway. Um, <laughs> official member of the Tomahawk, and I really do think he's going to be a lot better than you because I don't think you were any good. I was in those. I, so. I was in those huddles with you, and I remember thinking like. <laughs> This guy is not what they you remember, say he is. You remember looking over at me in that hall thinking, man, I better get open quick because that dude <laughs> yeah. can't hold his jockstrap. Everyone's like, why don't we throw it down the field? Why don't we throw it down the field? They had no idea it was because of you. All right. Well, that does it on this episode and this season of the Tomahawk Show. We're going to take a, a little hiatus. I think I don't know how long it'll be, um, but we're going to take a little hiatus, a little off season for us, a little quarantine the podcast. Uh, but we appreciate you guys so much, man, for listening every single week. We appreciate the interaction. Make sure you hit us up on Twitter. We're still going to be doing crazy stuff there and uh, making sure you guys are up to date with all we're doing. If you haven't yet, go donate to um, our fundraiser, Children's Hunger Alliance. Tomahawk is still matching. They're still running that campaign. We will update that soon. And I think that does it, Joe. Final thoughts on this season, not just mm. on the episode, Joe. Give me your final thoughts of yeah. life, actually. Uh Man, I tell you what, this has been a great season. I got to, for one second, be serious and say thank you to the great staff at the Tomahawk Show. They're unbelievable. The people behind the scenes do a fantastic job trying to make us sound good and look good every single week, uh, which they sometimes do, but uh, sometimes don't. But that's our fault. Uh, And I got to say thanks to you, man. It's been a really enjoyable, fun season to not only get together once a week with you and twice a week sometimes to talk NFL football, talk life. Uh, It's been a nice respite from reality. And a lot of times I'm thinking, ah, I don't feel like doing a podcast today, but just talking to you a lot of times is very therapeutic. And I 
almost always get off the show thinking, man, I feel good. I feel a lot better after talking to Hawk. So thanks for being that resource for me. Thanks for being that person that just lifts me up no matter what mood I'm in. Likewise, brother. The the sentiment is is shared, man. Love you. Uh, Excited about the future, man. I'm going to call them out by name. Shout out to John. Shout out to TD, Saul, Matt Perret, Chris, Logan, Donnie, AP, Paris. Love you guys, man. We appreciate you so much. Um, Thanks for listening to the Tomahawk Show. Joe, we're going to let Jedrick Wills take us out. Joe, hawk yourself. <laughs>